camp or not. Uh, so anyways, it was a lot of sunshine. So if you guys know a good uh, sun, uh, like a lotion for the skin, I, I would love to get some from you. Friends, it's uh, such a great, uh, again, uh, experience for us to be alive today and to be able to worship together. Uh, so let me just begin today's uh, word with a prayer together. Lord, you're alive. You're a living God. Lord, and as we just sang and as we just experienced again, Lord, give us the courage to rise up in faith, to rise up, Lord God, in commitment to follow Jesus boldly in such an hour as we live in, that, Lord, we will be among those that do not give up, that we'll be among those that, Lord, do not despise our faith, and, Lord, that we are willing to go against any obstacle, any opposition, and still lift up the name of Jesus and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So here we are, your children, Lord. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts today? And would you allow your word to bring about the change that reveals the glory of Jesus in our lives? In every day, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So here we are. We're in Judges. Uh, as um, as uh, Brother Joshua mentioned, um, yeah, truly, this is an opportunity. Again, the, this week, I, 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 my phone is in the back. Kioni, did anybody text me yet? It's right in front of the iPad, check it out, any notifications? Not yet, yet. okay, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, we have some people, uh, it was a really great time. It's a monthly thing, we just really want to kind of, I know we've all been frozen at home, uh, so this is an opportunity for us to come back together, and uh, I know the COVID, whatever, is is getting a little bit higher, uh, but we will do our best to to make it safe. But nonetheless, uh, here we are. Uh, we are at the point of talking about the book of Judges. I hope you guys had a good week reading Joshua last week. And today we, we pick up from the moment he has passed away. And as we mentioned last, last week, uh, he was an amazing leader following Moses' footsteps. They're in the promised land. He defeated 31 kings, but the, but the land was not empty yet, right? So the people that came after Joshua, they had a lot of work to do. All the 12 tribes were growing, and they were all spreading out and multiplying. And then, but then there was a problem that we begin to see, and Judges is a book that shows this cycle, which I call the cycle of sin. This is what, what the whole book is basically about. The people of Israel, after Joshua, right, they're in the promised land. They start to sin. They start to forget God. They start to do what the pagan nations are doing. Uh, which are, you know, maybe one day I can talk about it, but their, their way of life, their sacrificial acts, their, their promiscuity, all of that was just so rampant. And these Israelites, these people that came out of the desert, started to follow their ways. And then what happens is the, the nations overtake them. And then they, the people begin to cry out, and then God delivers them by sending the judges. Judges are basically heroes, right? Supernatural. They somehow had God's extra power, kind of like a DC comic or Marvel, you know, Avengers. Some of the Avengers rose up at different times, delivered them. But then the problem is they repeat the same process. They, in fact, they do it 12 times. So the book of Judges talks about 12 judges that came along. Some of them you might know. Deborah is one of them. Gideon, Samson, those stories that you as, probably if you were in the church, you've heard about Gideon or Samson. Those kind of stories are the judges that God brought to deliver the Israelites who were in trouble because they sinned. 
but they did it again. Just an example here. One of the first uh, person, one of the first judges to rise, hero to rise, was Othniel. And this is what it says. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The, angle of the, the, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cush, Cushanan, wait, Cushan, I cannot say that name, sorry guys, king of Aram, Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So you see the pattern there, right? They sin and they become, they, go, they get into trouble and this foreign nation rules them for eight years. Okay, and then what does what they do? The people cry out to God, saying, "Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, help us!" And then God sends them a judge, and his name was Othniel. And the rest of the chapter says, after Othniel came, they had peace for forty years. Great, right? Great story, right? Yay! Let's let's keep going, right? But then <laughs> a few verses later, it says, "Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did the evil, the Lord God gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, a different nation now, getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for." 18 years. It increased, right? It was 8 and now it's 18. These are nations that God normally, if the Israelites were faithful, he would have fought with the Israel and taken over. But he said, no, I'm not going to help you in this time. So what do the people do? They get in trouble. They get punished. They cry out to God and God gives them Ehud. And then Ehud gives them the peace for 80 years. Great, right? Like this is like a history. I mean, this is a, the, the thing that in the history books of nations are written about. But then the next, a few verses later, it says, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Another king comes in, another kind of force, and they get punished. And then this time, they are uh, in trouble for 20 years, right? And they cried out to the Lord, and then the one next avenger or next judge that comes to save them is Deborah. And so this process repeats again 12 times, same thing over and over. So we can see that the Israelites did exactly the thing that God warned them and asked them to do, to be careful to not forget God once they entered the land. Because the Lord knew that these people that came out of the desert, once they go into this land flowing with milk and honey, they're going to settle down. And God is so happy that they're going to build homes, their families going to increase, their, their, their harvests will increase, their animals, their livestock will increase, and they're going to be happy, well-fed, and comfortable. And God says, when that happens, do not forget me. Do not forget the history of how I birthed you into a nation from Exodus. But guess what? Once they got comfortable, once they had the money, once they started having children and grandchildren, all these things, they no longer followed God's word. It's almost like they didn't need God anymore, right? And then instead of following God, they started looking around, and then these other nations had other ways of life that they wanted to explore, and they did. They gave in to those idols and their pagan lifestyle. You know, speaking of forgetting, someone really important to me has recently forgotten me. Do you know who it is? My son. <laughs> recently, I did a, my son has been away for a month uh, with my wife in Korea, and they're having a great time, you know, uh, because of time difference. And, and my wife has been saying it's been so much busier uh, in Korea because she has to go here and there and all these kind of things. And uh, I was doing video chat with my son, 
and say, Haida, Apaya, and you know, like even like three weeks ago, it's like, ah, he did the heart and like, you know, laughing, but now it's like, he had no idea who I was, right? So, but apparently that's normal, and, and right there around one and a half age to two, uh, I know, I know some, some, some children, uh, even just two weeks away, the father, they, they couldn't recognize. So I was like, oh, okay, gosh, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, it, it, you know it, it, I don't blame him, right? I'm not, that, I'm not mad, right? But I realized that the Israelites, just like Hael, right? Hael forgot, you know, all those days and hours I spent with him and, you know, cleaning him, showering him. And now he's like, who is this guy? Because <laughs> he had why he had a lot of friends. He had uh, uh, he had two cousins, older brother, older sister, and now he has like three uncles and like uh, two uh, aunties and grandpa and grandmother. I'm not there. I haven't been there. So he's like, I don't know who this guy is. But just like that, the Israelites, they forgot, right? They forgot their beginning. They forgot. And we're gonna find out why this is the case. And the worst thing about this is that it was a 300-year cycle. The 12 judges that came, it happened over 300 years. The Israelites could not shake off this cycle of sin. And what's most interesting about this is that as you guys see the numbers of how long they were saved, how delivered and suffered, the peace did not last over a generation. And I want to explain today why that is the case. It's a, it's a tragic history, right? Why couldn't the Israelites learn by the fifth or sixth or eighth time of being crushed and overtaken and beaten down by foreign nations and then coming back to God? If they saw this happening, how come they didn't do something to figure it out, right? If you were part of this nation, right, I'm sure if the same thing is happening over and over again, maybe you can figure out how do we stop it, but it doesn't happen. In fact, not just Israelite history, but people say about history in general that history repeats itself, right? Like human issues, the things that we, we suffer and the stories of violence, greed, lust, rich, rich and strong people preying on the poor and the weak, these are things that we see patterns again and again. It's not just Israelite suffering through this amnesia and this, this inability to move forward, but, you know, going like a hamster, just running and running, running, getting better, getting worse, getting better, getting worse, hurting, being hurt, hurting, being hurt, forgiving, and then doing it again. This is what is part of our sinful and broken nature. You know, uh, we may be thinking these days, you know what, technology is so much better, right? We have 5G phones, we have instant news everywhere, and we have the Google, we can learn, YouTube, we can DIY anything now. Surely human race should have uh, improved, right? We would think, yeah, we should be much, much more uh, civilized and moral than people in the past. But when you really look at it, it, nothing has changed in terms of human nature. That's the sad news. And that's what the Israelites show is that their symptom is what we, the issue that we have too. So the book of Judges, as, they, as you see this thing and you're just like, you know, scratching your head, what's wrong with these people? You realize the first lesson is this. No human being can be the ultimate hero, the superhero for humanity, meaning salvation for humanity is not dependent on humanity, right? Because these, these amazing, like Samson, Gideon, Deborah, all these people, they were like supercharged human beings helped by the Spirit of God. But guess what? They couldn't deliver the nation from ultimate defeat. Just as soon as they were done, Again, they were defeated. Again, they fell, and again and again. 
So human beings cannot be the superheroes. Because look what it says in Judge 2. It says, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of the enemies. Guess what? As long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the way even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practice in stubborn ways. Only until the human being was doing the job for them, they were okay. But once the hero was gone, they said, ah, whatever. I'm going back to my old ways. And he says, even worse. And this has snowballed to where now we see the same wars are being fought decades and, and, and years and years. And horrible things are continually happening. And we hope that governments and, and, and military and all these human beings will try to solve the issue. But we realize Human beings cannot save human beings. So just an example, I, this is a story of Gideon, but in Judges 6.1, again, this judge, uh, Gideon was judge number five among the 12. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, so they cry out to God, and God gives them Gideon, and then Gideon leads them into peace for 40 years, right? Uh, Gideon's story is really amazing, right? The, he... God uh, reduced the army to just 300 against uh, 300,000. And Gideon's 300 defeated 300,000. So you're like, if once you hear the story, like, wow, God is the way. Let's follow God. But no, it says this at the end of the story. It says, no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Berith as their God and did not remember the Lord their God. You know, they looked at the God on face chat and were like, hmm, who's this? And then who had rescued them from the hand of their enemies on every side, they also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, who is Gideon, his, his, his birth name or, or Hebrew name, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. Not only did they return to evil ways, but you see their hearts were never thankful. Their hearts never changed. The, the, the judges, the heroes did the good thing, but once they were gone, the people remained the same, even worse. They, they didn't even thank his family for the good things. They completely forgot him. Not only God, they completely forgot the, the political leader that was helping them. So the question as we see this is, why were they stuck in the cycle of sin? Because the same reason why they were stuck as a people is the reason why many of us and people in this time, in this 21st century, are still suffering in the same cycles. The peace and the victory only lasted as long as the human hero did, but the people were not changed. They were not delivered from their cycle of sin. So what was lacking for them is what's lacking in humanity today. There's an answer to this reason. It's, in fact, it's in our passage that we read today. Today in the passage in verse 10, it said this, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning this is a cool way of saying they died. Joshua and the elders, right? Because after Moses, right, uh, died, Joshua and the 12 elders from the 12 tribes, they led the nation into great victories. Joshua did not fail even once, right? He was one of the greatest heroes, right? But after they all died, it says, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Somehow, 
Moses and Joshua, people who saw God face to face, who experienced, tasted the manna, and they saw the miracle of God, and they realized this is the only God. This is the one true God we have to love. And then, but then suddenly, after that generation dies, the next generation is like, what? They have no clue who is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served another God called Baal. The next generation did not know that is where the cycle of sin began. Why? Why did the next generation not know? I mean, for, for one, they didn't have YouTube and, and written paper and all that. So the only way you could tell stories was by word of mouth. Where you had to spend time talking about it, right? They didn't have the Bible to look through. So unless somebody told them, the next generation, hey, little kid, you know, I want to tell you about the story of my, my dad, you know, how he blah, 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 you know, how he ate the manna, how the Lord brought the uh, ten plagues, how the Lord created the heavens and the earth. The Lord raised up uh, Moses and, and, and jo Joseph and all this. Unless the older generation told and taught the next generation, they could not know. So whose fault was it? Whose fault of the sin cycle? Who, whose fault was the creation of this cycle of sin? The next generation? No, the first generation. If the, first, if the generation that saw God and experienced him did not teach the next generation, they will not know who they are, they would not know how they were born and they were, they, whoever they were created. And simply, they would just be a blank canvas and they would simply allow the nations around them, what they see and what they feel, to define who they are, right? So that's exactly what they did. And in fact, the first generation that did see God, they were tempted in the same way. And they themselves started to let go of God. And of course, if, if the people who know God Forsake God. They, the people that don't know God, they have no chance of knowing God. And that's exactly what happened. And so even though God sent miracles through Gideon and Samson and Deborah and all these judges, the people are like, I don't, I don't see it. Let's just, you know, live our lives. But what's interesting is, again, that generation that was uh, uh, affected by the cycle, again, they were saved in their generation. It's like me, like our generation right now. Let's say that we are you know, part of one generation and we fall away from God. We leave our faith and then we suffer and, and God saves us through some like, I don't know, glorious man or woman. But then the problem is, and that we enjoy that peace. The problem is once we died, the next generation did the same thing again. There was no transferring of this truth. Friends, the ultimate reason the people of Israel was stuck in their cycle of sin was not the lack of heroic leaders or God's power, but it's that the people as a whole neglected the most important role of transferring their faith to the next generation. Look at these pictures. You will see something common. This is pictures from Relay Race, right? Um, yeah, I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. You know, the tumbling, it's just some amazing pictures of what's happening. You guys know this past Olympic in uh, Tokyo, we had, uh, I think the men won the 400 uh, times four relay, but the four times 100 meter relay, we didn't even qualify. I and mean, we, we, we ended up in six, and, and the people criticized them because guess what? These athletes, you see USA athletes, they're one of the greatest athletes in the world, right? Individually. They could do the greatest things. But when they were supposed to pass it on to the next, next runner and work together, they dropped the ball. They didn't practice. They thought it was going to be easy, and, and literally, they didn't practice. Some of them, 
They, they, had no, they, they were not trained in this. They're great athletes individually, but corporately, they failed. So life is not about individual races, but it's more important to understand the community effect, community identity, right, as human race, right? So the second lesson that we learn from Judges is to demonstrate the tragedy of the fallen human nature where one lives for oneself. Not only is human, human leader not enough, the real problem of the Israelites that we see in Judges and we see today is that by nature, we care about oneself. That's the most basic, biggest issue we have is I live for myself. I don't think about how important it is for me to handle that baton, that, that thing that we are all living for, the purpose to the next generation, to care about how the next person does. Friends, I talked about forgetting the Lord as the issue of the Israelites and, and even us, right? In Deuteronomy 6, this is where God told through Moses, it says, it says he warned them, right? When you eat and are satisfied, there was a whole list of you know, how much they're going to be blessed and how, how amazing the promised land is going to be. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do not follow other gods, the God of the people around you. And then he lists all these curse that's going to come upon if you do that. But that's exactly what they did for 300 years again and again and again, right? But did you know that the chapter, this very chapter, begins in this way? Before you get to the forgetting part, Moses says, these are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, right? Moses passing the baton. He did a good job. Yeah, he, he taught them. He taught them very well, even though when they were all crazy and, he, and the first tablets broke, he went and did another 40-day fasting, brought it again. He taught it as best as he could, right? So they could observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, you your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping. What was the teaching supposed to be for them? no. For them and their children and their children. All his decrees and commands that I give you so that you, uh, as long as you live by keeping all these commands and decrees I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Then he says in the next verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is where that context is. But what, watch what that means. What, what does it really mean to love the Lord your God? The answer is right here. He says, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Right? In our hearts, for every Christian, we are always thinking, wow, what is the word of God? What is the will of God in our lives? And it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. A fancy way of saying every time, anywhere, talk about the words of the Lord. What is the will of God? What is God saying? Again, the word of God is not just the Bible. What is God saying to you today? What is the Holy Spirit telling you? That has to be our heart soul, and strength concern in our life. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Friends, this is how you love the Lord. And this is the only way you will not forget, right? What you see in this beautiful image of what it, what it, what it takes to not forget God and to not get into the cycle of sin is that this is by this is the faith is a shared experience and it's a lifestyle. The problem with the, the, the Israelites and the problem with humankind is that as the people started to, to talk about these things, they 
soon began to lose that shared experience. And instead of it becoming a lifestyle, it became an event. Just like for many Christians, Christianity, faith can be an event you go to, right? A place you go to. But what God really is asking of us to break the cycle is, number one, you need a community. You need a shared experience. Faith cannot be just me on a mountain somewhere just meditating. No, faith has to come from a sharing of the experience of God together like we're doing today. And also, it has to be a lifestyle. Again, see the, again, yeah, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up, talk about it, tie it to your, to your body, bind it on your forehead, write it, put it in your heart with all of your heart. That's the only way they will not forget. But Israel, they didn't do that, right? Because the knowledge and the faith and the love of God that one generation knew died with them. They somehow were saying, oh, this is enough. Have you ever thought, oh, yeah, I think I'm blessed enough, and just said, oh, I'm so thankful I'm a Christian. Whew, I'm done, right? But that's the human nature, right? We think that's, that's the right thing to do because we, by nature, live for oneself. So look at the successful. Look at the ideal example is this in Joshua eleven fifteen. There's a reason why Joshua was so powerful. It says, as the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So that was great, but why don't we hear about, and Joshua told this person, and this person, and this person. Then the Israelites would not have taken 300 years to conquer the entire land. They wasted time, resources, lives, energy. They lost who God was. They lost their identity, and they were stuck in this hamster, this meaningless lifestyle. This is what plagues all of us as mankind even today, right? Each generation, and not even just generation, each person in our sinfulness, in our lack of the image of God, we live for who? Ourselves first. That's what commits, that's what creates the cycle of sin in you, in your family, and in this society. Everyone, by nature, we're saying, I want the blessing for myself. Friends, I thought about this. When, when, one day when we go to heaven, and I hope that this is not how it's going to happen, when God asks, when God sees one of your neighbors, because everyone's going to stand before Jesus, and someone that you've lived and that you've known in your life could be your neighbor or a friend, and they talk to them, and God talks to them, you know, uh, he or she, right, and says, hey, how come you didn't, never knew about me? Whose fault is it that this person, that me as a Christian, knew for years and years and years, never heard about Jesus? It's not that person's fault. It's the one that had the faith but lived for oneself and did not transfer it to the next person, to the next generation. Evangelism is hard because at nature, we don't want to live for anything beyond what's beneficial for me. That's the nature of sin. You know, going back to my encounter with my son, as I meditated on that incident, I realized there was a lesson to be learned here because I realized, is it my son's fault that he forgot me? Not at all, right? It's, I'm not there with him, right? That, that's the reason. But more than that, I realized, you know what? Maybe I should have been more stimulating to his brain because the way that... You know, for the first year and a half, when we, my wife and I alone were with him, I mean, compared to, it was like two human beings with one. Now it's like 10, you know, with, no, no, 10. And then he's also going to uh, children's school. Korea is so great. They have an orinihakyo that's free. 
for kids under even two. You know, they feed them, nap them. He already got used to it, right? So he has all these friends, all these foreign nations, whatever, right? So, but then the thing is, I realized that when my wife was uh, raising him up, he, whenever she's with the son, she's always talking and always like playing and all these things. But me, being the, being the noob, right, the guy that had no experience raising kid, a lot of times when I was with the son, with my son, it was very silent. And my wife, like, laughed. It was like, every time you're with him, it's, like, silent. Because I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, and we're just lying down, and I'm just trying to, like, match his intensity. No, that's not how, the normal human being, that's how you interact. But with a baby, you got to be, like, extra, like, hey, you know, all these kind of things. Anyways, next baby, I'll do much better. But I realized, just like that, it's never the person who does not know's fault. It's the one who has. The one who has been blessed is the one who needs to bless. The one who's under curse, you don't look at someone who's under sin and say, oh, you're a sinner, oh, you're cursed. No. It's the one who has been forgiven that has to share the message of forgiveness. This is what happened to the Israelites, but this is what it is happening to us. So my friends, the final question is how to break this cycle of sin. Now, you've seen that picture of passing the baton, but what does it actually take for us to be great baton passers? So that every time we pass on the glory of God, eternal life, kingdom of God to someone, our our neighbors, our spouses, our friends, what does it take for me to not drop that baton and to help the next person get it? Because I could be like, hey, I, I ran really fast. You stumbled. No, no, no. I have to figure out how can I make the next generation, the next person, the next neighbor, the next friend in your life, be saved also. There's no other simple way of saying it, but the key is the word, what Jesus asked. What's the last thing that Jesus asked of us? Make disciples. That's it, making disciples. There's a very simple idea. To make disciples, disciples simply means a student. All of your life, whether you are, uh, whatever job you have, whether you're single, married, or you have a big family or small family, your job in life is to make disciple. It's to teach somebody. It's to influence. Another way of saying make disciple, it means to live not for yourself, but to make an impact on somebody else. Make a positive impact on someone else. That's what it makes to, means to be, make a disciple. Just like Jesus, he lived his life not to look for what is beneficial for him, but all that Jesus was concerned was, I want to love God with everything, all of my heart, soul, my mind, and strength. And the way I do that is I'm going to, whenever I sit down, whenever I walk, whenever I lie down, I'm going to talk about the word of God with the people that that I have here, and I'm going to influence the people. That's just layman's term of what it means to make disciples. In fact, all of you guys are making some disciples. Hopefully, it's for the better, not for the worse. But just like Moses taught Joshua, and Joshua taught it to the next generation, we are supposed to teach. To teach is to make disciples. Friends, making disciples simply means to live as Christ did. I want to remind us a verse from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. This is how you pass the baton. This is how you break the cycle. This is how you never again go back to the same sin and see your family and your friends and your neighbors and this nation get into that cycle of death and, and suffering and curse and be a deliverer. 
He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other generation, other friend, the other coworker, the other politician, the other side, the other person, the other sinner. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When I meditated on this, I realized the command of God to serve and to love one another, it just became a whole bigger picture than I ever realized. Because the thing is, I used to see those commands to love others and to serve. Really, you know why I I was willing to do that? For my benefit. I wanted to do that so that God can say, good job, England. But I never realized, no, to love someone, to serve, to become great, it means to let go of your selfish nature, of vain conceit, of of valuing yourself, of of thinking about your interests, which we do 24-7, to be delivered from that to a point where you are caring about others and the interests of others. And and the mindset, if you read the next, the remaining Philippians, Jesus emptied himself, became poor, became a servant. Friends, that's the only way we're going to break the sin cycle over your family, your, your, your friends, your workplace, this city, this island, this nation, and the world. Every Christian, therefore, is a judge. Every Christian is a hero. We're not looking for a hero. We all need to become the hero that breaks the cycle of sin and depravity in your family and the world. Friends, when I meditate on the impact of this pandemic, I realize, in reality, the thing that is most, how should I say, um, what's the nice word here? The thing that's most threatening about the pandemic is not the physical and the economic impact. By the grace of God, most of you guys that I know were not physically or economically devastated. I know very minor few of you guys, maybe someone you know, maybe they were physically devastated financially. I thank God that you're protected. But I realized that all of us, by this global experience, the threat that happened to us was that we were robbed. We were, we were removed of the opportunity and the privilege of serving others like we should. We were isolated. We were told, do not interact. We were told, do not gather. We were told, stop this, stop that. And we did. And I realized that real threat wasn't just physical and economic. It's our soul and our spirit. Instead of being like-minded like Christ, thinking about the interests of others, we were told and we were told, you're righteous to think about your safety and for the others, right? But by doing nothing for them. And it's scary how it creeped on because as it, we thought it was going to be like, you know, two weeks right, in the beginning, just 14 days, right, and then three months, oh, six months, oh, gosh, how long has it been? It's been two years, I think. Has it been two years? It has been? Wait, I'm losing track of time. I think a year and I don't know. But the point being is I realized something within even myself died because I simply said, okay, I guess I cannot help, I cannot serve, I cannot gather, I cannot do And all my weapons of righteousness for the kingdom of God simply sat on the shelf, and I just did. And I'm like, these days, I'm like, wow, God, deliver me. I don't want to repeat that sin cycle. I don't want to be a person, because there's two kinds of people in the world who are going to 
either you're going to be somebody who makes that cycle deeper and harder and faster, or you're going to be the person who stops that cycle and delivers people from that hamster wheel of death and hell. Friends, so much of our, our impact, right, that, that was supposed to be part of who you are. I know many of you guys feel dead, and many of you feel like, you know, your faith is low and weak, and of course, because the only way our faith can grow, only way our spirituality can increase is when we start caring for each other, when we start sharing the experience of faith, and when we start thinking beyond myself, beyond the safety of myself. Friends, I was so moved when I heard this week that in Afghanistan, right, um, I told you guys last week that the media doesn't show this, but Afghanistan was number two growing church in the world. Like, China was number one at one point, but it, it, but the people, it was so hot in China that people just went everywhere. Iran became number one, fastest growing church in the world, Afghanistan. And did you know what? Nowadays, there's two things happening in Afghanistan that you don't hear about. Of course, we need to continue to pray that as a whole nation, they'll be delivered and that justice will come. But God, there are so much believers. I hear two stories, right? two stories that, of faith, of what it means to break the cycles. There are people there who, by their faith, they haven't given up. They, they, they tried to go to one airport. They were, they were uh, taken away. They went to another place. And then finally, as they were praying, God says, go to this place at this time. And when they did, they were able to flee the persecution. So the glory to God, right? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a power in, in faith, but there's also another kinds of Christians who they felt as they were praying, God said, no, stay in Afghanistan. Let the persecution come because through you, I'm going to preach to the Taliban and they're going to turn and I'm going to create the greatest, redeem the greatest evil into the greatest good. So friends, you cannot live in such a way when all you're thinking is, how can I save myself? Now, the idea, again, is following the word of the Lord. To, in order for you to be the chain breaker, the cycle breaker in your family, in your life, you and I don't have the answer. We have to come back to the basic principle. Remember the Lord. When you talk, when you sit down, your children, your friends, with all of your mind, is the word of God. What is God saying to me? How can I approach my friend? You guys are heroes in your workplaces, in your schools, in your families that I cannot. There's no longer a superhero among us. Only Jesus is the superhero, and all of us are his heroes in every place. God is saying, I want you to think about the benefit of the others. This is when I realized this. Matthew 7, 12, 13, Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament in one verse. says, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, which is good stuff. Nobody wishes that people hate you, abuse you, and steal from you, right, and, and cheat on you. No. Do it to them. Very simple. Just whatever is good for others, for their benefit. That's godly. That's the, that's what it, that's the whole point of being a person of God, of faith, is what is good for others. Do that, right? This is the law and the prophets. You know what the next verse says? Enter by the narrow gate. He means this is the, this is the way of life that not many enter. But this is a narrow way that is, that is that, uh, sorry, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And, and those who enter by it are many. Meaning many people are living today, what, for the sake of what? Good for me, do it for me. That's their law. That's our human nature. You wake up and the first thing you think is what's good for me. That's okay. But God is saying, I'm giving you a second option. He says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few but but those who find it I pray that every one of you are part of the few because you realize you're living not for your good but for another 
That's how you de- uh, destroy the power of sin and curse in your life. What the Israelites couldn't do, I pray you will be able to do in your life. As I grow older, with my son and I, we're gonna, I'm going to make a lot more mistakes, but there's something beautiful about this gospel, right? There's going to come a point where my son, we're going to be equals, right? Not only is it just me interested in, in him and him, interest, him just receiving, but there's come a point where he's going to also be able to think of a, my benefit. The beauty of Christian, Christian messages is there's no age limit. There's no, there's no any restriction. Love has no limit. And God is asking you, God is inviting you to follow him in becoming the heroes of today because of your massive love. A kind of love that Jesus says, a no, greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life. We're the kind of people who are even willing to, if God leads us, to lay our lives down for who? Myself. So I can be famous, no, for someone else. So you get to choose today whether you're going to keep the cycle happening, make everything you work for in your life, just be wasted, or you will follow Jesus and say, the cycle ends with me. Let's have the praise team come forward. So friends, from the judges, there's two lessons. Gone are the days of superheroes. Today, you are the hero. And your role is that you have to think about the benefit of no longer just yourself. So I want you to think about, have you ever gone to work? How many of you guys go to work saying, Maybe most of the people I know in America don't like their jobs. So you go to work, and what do you do? You think about how much money I'm going to get. How, how, how much patience do I need to just get through this job? Just clock out because I need that money. But I pray that you become people who go to your work obsessed with God. What is your word? How can I be a positive influencer to my boss? Positive influence to my coworker, to those under me. How can I use the resources, the money, and the, and, the, and the assets you've given me to serve people instead of myself? Many of you guys, students, same thing. I, I was just like you. When I went to school, I just wanted to get out, right? Because you're like, ah, oh, whatever. But how about you go to school now thinking, wow, how can I influence for the kingdom of God my friends, my, my, my teachers, Go walk into your homes, into your workplaces and your school as a hero now who will say the kingdom of God is here because I am here to love and to serve you. Friends, the pandemic or any threat in this life cannot be what stops us from this mission. This is who you are. We're blessed to be a blessing. That's our identity as people saved in God. The work is to be done, to yet to be done, and I pray that we will unite, that here in this community with people who share the faith, who are the ones that will not stop until we see the neighbors and all around us become people that are also delivered as we are. Friends, hence is the reason why uh, we have our life groups. Uh, I know they suffered because of the pandemic, but that was part of the reason why I wanted to start the monthly gatherings. Just come, right? If you feel like your, 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 your faith is empty and your spirituality is empty, well, you cannot do it on your own. We have to come together, learn to give, learn to serve. And I pray that this will become the place for your training to become the hero of this day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now I ask you,